Hey there, conductors. If you've ever felt that you're not quite sure what to do next when you're studying a score, maybe you don't even know where to start with a difficult piece. Maybe you study one piece too much and then you realize at the first rehearsal that you don't know another one well enough. Or maybe you're a new conductor and you don't know what score study is. I'm excited to share that I'm finally publishing and sharing my score study checklist. I've been refining this for 12 years now, and I'm so excited to share it. It is going to walk you through my structure, my process to make sure that I learn every score that I need to learn well enough and so that nothing falls through the cracks. So it covers everything that you need to know. There's a link in the show notes. Go ahead and click it, sign up, and you'll get that score study checklist sent right to your email. You'll also get access to an eight-minute video of me explaining what each section is and how I use it to organize all the music that I need to learn. It's only eight minutes, so it's not going to take you a whole hour to learn how to study better, how to put up a process for your score study and how to make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. So again, click the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you soon. Now, please enjoy this episode of Podium Time. Welcome to Podium Time, the podcast for conductors and students. Hello, and welcome to Podium Time. This is your host, Jeremy D. Cuevas, and this week, Luke and I are speaking with George Jackson, a London-based conductor who works entirely as a freelance and guest conductor. We've split this interview into three parts as part of an experiment we're running on the podcast, and this third part is all about how we can use podcasts, film music, and Steve Reich to help revitalize classical music in America and around the world. Be sure to check out the two previous episodes, first, which we talked about guest conducting and working with a manager, and then second, how less podium time as a student can actually be a benefit to learning to be a conductor. As always, I'd like to thank our patrons on Patreon for supporting the podcast with just a few bucks a month, and thanks to everybody that's a part of our Inner Circle Facebook group who shared with us that they may want shorter, more focused episodes. Check out the show notes for links to both of these, and you can also use the promo code PODIUMTIME at pagubatons.com for 20% off your first order, and that link is in the show notes as well. But for now, let's get to this third and final part of our interview with George Jackson. So do you have any projects or any things you're working on right now that you're excited about that you want to just talk about for a minute? Well, it's it's funny because we're in this unusual lockdown situation that everybody's experiencing all over the world. And so I've I've started this weird way of studying where I'm actually studying things that are further off in the future because the likelihood of them actually happening is slightly more it's than true, yeah. in the next month. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm doing a, a Janacek opera in about two and a half, two years or so, um, which I'm now studying <laughs> as if it's next week, yeah. because I think, well, this is sort of wasted, you know, free time. Um, so I'm sort of coming backwards through through my schedule for the next sort of couple of years. Um, I mean, the the one of the sort of weird coincidences that's happened, I, mean, I don't know if you know... Um, you know the American, the Italian conductor uh, Giulini, who was mm. mostly based in America, but he um, had a fantastic way of talking about how, as a conductor, repertoire chooses you rather than you choosing repertoire. Okay. And it's it's sort of happened to me in the last I don't know six months where um, I went from I, I love Steve Reich's music. I mean I'm, I've always, in fact, my alarm clock is. Steve Reich, which is interesting. <laughs> um, but I've always loved his music and really enjoy listening to it, not not for work purposes, but just for enjoyment. And But then um, 
I was offered some some work conducting a Steve Reich premiere in actually in Paris earlier this year. Um, and then suddenly I'm doing about four different programs of Steve Reich because of course <laughs> what I'm realizing happens it's not that you get typecast, but suddenly you find something which you really enjoy doing and which people want want you to do. And it all kind of fits together like a jigsaw. So I'm I'm really excited to be doing a lot of Steve Reich, particularly some of the later works which are being premiered for the first time in Europe. So I'm doing quite a few French premieres of um, some of his later music. So, uh, for example, this music for ensemble and orchestra, uh, which was part of this trilogy of three pieces, the Steve Reich, Reich Richter, which is a piece which has a film by Gerhard Richter alongside it. Um, and then on top of that, um, a piece called Runner, which is almost like a precursor to that composition, um, as well as this music for ensemble and orchestra. So I'm doing a really nice project at the Philharmonie in Paris mm -hmm. in July. Um, obviously, touch wood, because July seems to be a month, which is still a big question mark in, in for musicians. Uh, and that's exciting because, um, you know, usually young conductors, I'd say probably Beethoven is the composer that we interact with the most as young conductors. Mm -hmm. You know, we've probably all engaged with almost all of his symphonies and maybe all of his concertos or most of it. Um, so for me, it's really nice to have a living composer mm -hmm. be the person in my repertoire who, whose variety of pieces I've conducted the most because you suddenly realize how easy it is to to identify and to get into another piece of music because you've been working on all of his other music. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's been really nice. And I'm, I'm really enjoying kind of getting through all this repertoire, which, which is still living and still alive and still sort of being premiered all over the world. Yeah. What are a couple of pieces that, you know, people not familiar with Steve Reich should go check out? Well, I really, I mean, music for 18 musicians is sort of like, you know, as a teenager, it's a piece which it's like it's it's almost like everyone listens to Nirvana as a teenager, and it's sort of yeah. like the classical musicians' version of being a rebel um, and listening to music for eighteen musicians. And I mean, it just it, you know, irrespective of how you want to talk about how great it is, it just sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the landscape, and and then I, I really like uh, desert music, uh, which is a really really cool piece. Um, but I think I don't know. I think I think with Steve Rice, it's just like it's an ability to be able to create a whole world out of one chord that starts a piece and becomes yeah. the foundation of a whole piece. And I think um, it's what's also fantastic is, is the, the times that I've conducted his music in, in concert halls, in sort of ordinary concert settings, uh, that the concert halls are just full all the time and full with young audiences. Yeah. And so I think, you know, all orchestras all over the world are constantly asking the question, how can we get people to come to the concert halls? How can we get younger audiences, you know, particularly American orchestras? That's always the question. How can we make sure that we have an, uh, an audience of younger, um, you know, uh, perhaps a demographic that reflects the players in the orchestra slightly more? And the answer I've come to is it seems to be Steve Reich. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> we, they, it fills halls. And um, it, I, think, I think orchestras like playing it because it's a different way of playing. Mm -hmm. um, it's more like being in a band than than playing in an orchestra. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's there's something about it which I think is um, I think it's going to become a major part of orchestra's repertoire over the next century or something in a way that we haven't worked out yet. Which is great. I think it's mm -hmm. exciting to be part of it. Yeah, and I wonder why it's not why it's not done more here. I mean, I'm not very familiar with his music. I'm very familiar with yeah. him as a you know as a 
as a figure of music, but I've never played any. Mm. I've never heard any live, actually. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. studied and I've studied in classes, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not something that at least at least in my world that that I've actually come into contact with. Mm. I mean, it's unusual in the sense that it's often for for a, a type of orchestra that's, you know, it's not a symphonic symphony orchestra it's different combinations of percussion and pianos and mm-hmm. you know he, he i think he consciously unlike john adams doesn't want to write for a, a, a standard symphony yeah. orchestra setup um, and so in that respect that makes it difficult to program because you know you have to get four guys on the marimbas to be able to make it work and you know so it is quite a different way of of doing it but um but i just think it, i think that the question really is okay so if you have an orchestra that are responsible for selling their hall. It's the perfect thing to get people into the hall yeah. um, and to introduce. And I and I really do, as you say, you you haven't you you haven't engaged with it as a audience member or haven't had the chance to see it live. Um, but what's great is that you can listen to it, you know, on recordings. And it's a little bit like going to see your favorite band. Yeah. You know, you've, you've you've heard all the recordings and you've seen all the YouTube videos. Um, but actually, going to see it live, it's like you know, you're almost singing along with the words in a way that you don't mm-hmm. do when you go and see an opera, which, you know, it's a different situation. Yeah. Well, so yeah. now I'm going to spend the rest of my day listening to Steve Reich. I definitely <laughs> recommend it. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, awesome. Well, George, uh, before we, before we move on, is there anything that we, that we haven't covered that you'd like to, that you'd like to talk about or bring up? No, I think, I mean, I think we've had a, we've had a great chat. I mean, I think what's nice for me is that I listen to a lot of podcasts, mostly non-musical podcasts um, about, you know, comedy podcasts or um, the kind of acting world or theater and stuff. And um, it's, it's so interesting that maybe like many things, it seems like the classical world is a little bit sort of behind the rest of the other artistic industries. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, it's amazing how much, I think how much market there is or scope there is for classical music podcasts you know mm-hmm. i mean then and i mean i know that josh wilderstein was talking about his podcast in in the way that you know it became something that everybody wanted to listen to because that market is there yeah um, and i think in a way if if we are on the topic of of how do we make sure that we fill concert halls and keep an audience going um i mean that's the ultimate way to do it to make sure that the younger audiences are mm-hmm. are you know digesting what the, the conversations surrounding music in a way that other industries do so successfully. Um, and that, I think that's probably the way to get audiences younger yeah. Yeah. To, to do this kind of thing, you know, not just for other conducting students, but also for the audiences, because I always notice whenever I've been in situations where I have to talk about my job to audience members or to non musicians, um, it's, it's such a weird job what we do i mean everyone who listens to your podcast who's a conductor knows we all know what what we're doing in terms of conducting but it's a bizarre job and most people even some people in an orchestra don't know what we do they just yeah. go along with yeah. it and so it's it's um i think it's the most mystical and non-understood thing that that we can try and sort of put into words and so maybe that's a this this podcast is a nice way to to help demystify what a conductor actually does um, which yeah. is a great cause, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to try and figure out what the hell is I'm trying to do and uh, maybe do it a little better on the other side and help everyone <laughs> else do the same, right? <laughs> That's step one, isn't it? You know, what what do I do and why aren't I doing it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, and I think I think just being a part of one, you know, one thing that we 
that we I just th that I don't think we have here nearly as as much as the European countries is that mm -hmm. the music classical music isn't a part of you know society like it's it's a chunk it's a section of society yeah. or at least the perception of it is and yeah exactly like just the fact that there's are so few podcasts about it um, yeah is 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 a big part you know we get it in film music and I, orchestras are trying to push that that you know you are listening to orchestras all the time and in film music you yeah. just don't recognize it um, yeah of course yeah. but also you know it to, to bring the analogy back to to food and sort of consuming in, in that sense um you know pe people choose which groceries grocery shop they go to maybe they don't know that they need organic food they just want to go for the cheaper stuff yeah. i mean i think the thing with what the difficult challenge everybody has not just in the states in the way that the society is but also i think every country is how do you convince people that they that they need something or want something mm -hmm. that they don't even know exists or or have no idea that that's something that they might want and yeah. so it's it's quite difficult because you think well how do you tell someone who doesn't like vegetables that maybe it's in their interest <laughs> to eat vegetables and actually maybe it could be quite nice um you know and that and to be honest that's a revolution which has happened in fast food because fast yeah. foods going down the line of being all healthy and you know that's you know salad is something which exists in somewhere like mcdonald's now yeah, yeah. you know that, that so that's changed a lot and so i sometimes wonder whether with with orchestras i i think the argument that we that we all need orchestras i think that's actually been won uh, as an argument yeah i don't think that's the question that people are asking anymore but i think it's more the question of well what do we need them for how do we need them mm. and and how are they useful and i think you're right with film music definitely that's the answer in some sense it's like okay so i want to hear i want to hear film music but then actually why shouldn't i hear a strauss tone poem um and that should be what i do on a saturday night i mean it's it's sort of putting filling yeah. in those gaps which is again it's all about um demystifying something which seems seems very very mystical and therefore not for me mm -hmm. is that kind mm -hmm. of debate which which is which is a great thing to be part of yeah and i don't think it has to just be you know orchestral music there's the the rice no. was making me think like you know chamber concerts i love going to new music concerts because mm -hmm. they're kind of like it's, it's kind of like a rock concert it is kind of uh, like know, a rock it's concert, exciting yeah. in a different way um yeah exactly the with the strass tone poems um the orchestra i work for here did um mm. they were doing held in laban and the yeah. week before they were doing return of the jedi and Perfect. in in rehearsals you know i've 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 I was observing, so I prepped Helden Laden, Helden Laban, and the, the yeah. drum part in the battle. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I was and then I was watching rehearsals for Return of the Jedi, and I was like, oh my god, there it is. Yeah. So our, our it, conductor, yeah. who was doing both concerts, was like talking about the influence, and you know, the exact same thing yeah. here. And so you know, he yeah. was he was trying to convince people to go to the concert next weekend. Um, but he, but that's absolutely right because also yeah. you know there's there's no way that John Williams or any of these film composers of course they knew all that music and they and they knew <laughs> what's more important is they knew who to steal from in mm -hmm. a good way in, yeah. in a way that's healthy and so in 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 the sense you think well if if the guy writing the music for this this particular film music knew about all the other stuff then why shouldn't the audience know about all the other stuff yeah. um and you know i think there's nothing wrong with that but it's about making that argument and in a way it's just about marketing you know how do you make yeah. someone <laughs> as interested in that as they are in star wars or whatever and, and, and mm -hmm. that's where actually it's it's not you know our job 
on a simple level is just to be good musicians and conduct and be nice with an orchestra and all those things. But actually, it's the, the people that I think have the bigger questions to answer. It's the marketing world. It's the world of how orchestras are packaged. And I think, I think those people are the ones responsible for how, working alongside conductors, how do we make sure that a society knows the value of its, of its arts organization and its orchestra? And that's, yeah. um, yeah, that's, that's a really, really hard battle, especially economically, <laughs> when everything's going into turmoil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think, I think um, you know, and I, I hope everybody else recognizes, you know, what, since, you know, since we're not able to do concerts right now, what that's going to mean once we're able to get back in the hall and, and I hope so. how, how special that's going to be. And then I hope that orchestras are, are, are smart enough to, to take advantage of that and keep that ball rolling as we, as we go forward. Yeah. I think they will. I think people will realize we could all live like this forever. You know, yeah. um, the, the, the government could pay all of our wages and we just stay at home and hanging out and doing a bit of work and stay, you know, and yeah, leaving it like yeah. that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a way of living, but actually I think, I think you're right. There'll be a, a kind of a, a re-stimulus into what people like to do. Cause that's the thing. I think the, the question with, with orchestras is now we have Netflix and Amazon prime and all the different, things that we do the question is what do we do with our spare time yeah um you know netflix etc etc um you want people to be saying oh i like to go to the theater i like to go and hear an orchestra play i like to go to the opera um as long as people are still saying they want to do that yeah. then then obviously netflix will never i mean we'll probably be fed up of netflix in about <laughs> which is great yeah. for our industry right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah awesome well George, I think we just have one last question, and that's just that's yeah. our billboard question. If you could, if you could send a message out to all the conductors listening every day, what would yeah. you what would you send? I think I've thought about this a little bit, and um, there's a really interesting letter, which um, some say it's fictional. Um, I like to think that it's not fictional, um, and it's a letter which um, a very enormous, famous British uh, public book publisher. Uh, sent to J.K. Rowling of, okay. of the Harry Potter books, <laughs> rejecting her on the basis that there was nothing in the marketplace that would allow something like Harry Potter to flourish. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really the ultimate rejection letter pre-Harry Potter <laughs> being successful. And I think, for me, that would be the thing that all musicians, in fact, but, but certainly conductors, should remember that every conductor, and I'm pretty sure there's no exception on, on it for anybody, could put their whole flat or house um could wallpaper the rejection letters yeah. all over the all <laughs> over there and and the thing is i think i think it's important to remember that um that's the only thing that all successful conductors and successful musicians or successful people um have in common is that they've all been rejected thousands of times and failed thousands of times and yeah. so that would be the message to all conductors uh to to remember that 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 level of failure and rejection is so important and more important than, than even the podium time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, thank Thanks so much for reaching cool. out. Thank you. Thanks so much for this Pleasure. talk. I had a, I know we had a great time and, and yeah, um, me too. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of podium time and listening all the way to the end. You've joined the full episode club. If you'd like to get more from the podcast, consider joining the Podium Time Inner Circle group on Facebook or check out our Patreon page for bonuses like behind-the-scene discussions and other educational extras. Links are in the show notes or at podiumtimepod.com. 
Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony was performed by the Czech National Symphony Orchestra, and Beethoven's Egmont Overture was performed by Stefano Ligorati. (laughs) 